kind of fun to see Kai in a wheelchair rolling around. He was uh, rolling down the handicap ramp out there on the outside, cruising down that thing. And uh, there's a bunch of adults standing around, and we all kind of just went. You tell tell there were a few dads involved in that conversation. I'm going to share a story with you this morning as we talk about uh, the passage. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4. You can start turning there and uh, starting in verse 35. But um, some of you know, I, I got the privilege of going down to South America, Colombia, and uh, doing a missions trip down there. We were down there for about a month. I was probably with all the travel, it was less than a full month, but we were down there for several weeks uh, in, actually in South America, Colombia. Um, we had plans, as you can imagine, we had great leaders and they had developed a structure and a plan that we were going to follow. And um, as our uh, first week of serving down there on the field uh, began to draw to a conclusion, uh, half of the team was actually out in a tribe and uh, with one of the local uh, missionaries in this tribe, and they were uh, were supposed to be transitioning. We were supposed to change places. So we were going to take food and supplies out with us, and they were going to come back, and we were going to change spots. Well, on that uh, particular uh, Friday, I think it was a Friday, um, we received a note from one of the local people that lived there in the area, and they they came up to the finca, is what we called it. It was the farm uh, where we were staying. It was the, uh, the, the Christian school that they had for all the missionary kids. Um, and on the note, it said that uh, they were demanding $333,000. It was like a million pesos at the time uh, for our safe uh, exit. If we wanted to get out safely, we had to do that. And they had, uh, there was a group of people down at the end of the road that we were on that had guns and and gasoline, and they had booby-trapped the road, and they, we weren't getting out without paying the money. So we got a ransom note, is basically what that was. Now, as you can imagine, we were good, you know, modern-day American gringos um, down in South America, Colombia, where we had none of our resources and none of our peeps around. So can you imagine what happened at that moment? Any, any guesses what happened to our team? Yeah, a little bit of, little bit of fear set in, a little bit of panic. Uh, well, the whole the, the way that the story goes is um, the uh, the pilots that were supposed to be going out to pick up the half of our team that was in the tribe, they got rerouted back to fly into our airport, the, the runway at the school, and pick us up and get us out uh, quickly. And uh, in the process of waiting for them to show up, a storm started coming over the, this, this particular mountain. And we in that week, we'd seen this happen now a couple of times where when the clouds broke over that hill within about an hour, there was just a, a the place was just flooding. I mean, it, the rain was coming down hard. Uh, we actually would run and slide with the kids down this grassy slope that they had. It became a water slide, which, by the way, if you have white skin like mine and you try that for the first time, you end up with a lot of little scratches. Didn't realize that the grass could do that to you, but it does down there. And uh, anyway, so we're watching the storm roll over. We're gathered in the cafeteria area, and panic is setting in. There's, I mean, you know, people are crying, and and it's a pretty intense moment. Um, One of the older team members that I got connected to, he grabbed me and said, hey, let's go outside and pray. We're going to go outside and pray and and just give this process. Not that we weren't praying, um, but it was just a little pandemonium inside that particular building at the time. And we went out and we sat on the back step and we prayed and we just asked God to get us out of there. We were praying for safety. We were, um, we just, we wanted his will and for it to be done. Long, 
end of the story. Um, the storm did come in. The planes sat down. We had people posted on top of buildings all around. They had houses and buildings. They had people posted on radios just to, you know, in the event that we started seeing somebody come in, they wanted to, to know about the process. And um, it started raining. Now, you have to understand, they couldn't take off. If the rain set in, if the clouds covered up, they couldn't take off because we were in a mountain area. The, the pilots didn't have the ability to navigate out of there if the clouds set in. And uh, as the rains came in, the planes landed, and we started loading up people and taking off. Um, we ended up having one spot in the clouds where you could still see the sky, and so the, the pilot shot for that, and uh, the radio transmission as we left, um, the, the, the guards were stating, they, they made the comment, they were just praising God, that the wall of rain that, that followed us out closed up right behind the last plane as they left. They, they, they accounted for it as they went down the runway. Um, the guys on the radio were saying, it's still clear, it's still clear. And then they, they said that it rained as we left. Now, you have to understand something. Um, I tell you that uh, because there's nothing we could have done in that scenario, right? There's no human effort that made that happen. That was, that was a miraculous thing. God controlled the weather and did all that stuff. In the midst of that process, the poor team that got left in the in the tribe, uh, they got stuck there for another week because it was a week before the planes could could actually make the flight that for whatever reasons, the regulations they had, they couldn't go back out there for another week. So several of those kids that were out in that tribe got so sick that, in fact, they tell a story of, of two of them passing one another on their hands and knees going out to the restroom in the middle of the night because they were so sick from eating the, the tribal food. They had, they had no more gringo food um, that they would stop in the middle of the night and cry and pray together on their hands and knees in the middle of this process. Now, why do I tell you this? Uh, because we're going to look at a storm today and God calmed the storm. Uh, but sometimes in the midst of those storms, we run into difficult times, don't we? Uh, it, it, just because God calms a storm doesn't mean that all of the difficulties or all the challenges are relieved from our lives. Um, and I, I think we're going to see an interesting truth um, that I hope is an encouragement to you. Um, and it may also, may also make you go, wait, what? Turn with me. Hopefully you're there already. Matthew or Mark chapter 4, verse 35. My, and I slept good tonight, last night. I don't have any excuses for me. This is just... What a, this is just me being normal. So, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And yet, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? that sink in for just a second. We're going to look at several of these different pieces. Um, 
but I want to talk a little bit about the storm. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty uh, neat scientific thing, and, I, and I, I got some of this. I had to study a little bit of weather while I was fighting fires. Did you guys know that they make firefighters study the weather? You guys know that? I got into firefighting. I'm like, why do I have to take a weather class? I don't trust those people anyway. Now I are one. Um, I actually never got very good at it, but I learned one thing. Because in fighting fire, there's, there's very important elements about which direction the wind's going and uh, day and evening and how all of that stuff changes. Um, there, there's actually repeatable processes that happen on, uh, on steep mountainside or, or long grades uh, where, the, where the heat of the sun and the cooling of the earth and that transition changes. It changes the direction of the wind. And so if you're on a fire in the morning... And the fire's at the bottom of the hill, and you're somewhere up on the top trying to fight it. You can expect it to get hot and start running up the hill at a very rapid rate. If you're in the evening and you're in that same process, the fire will actually be completely differently because of the direction of the wind and the way that the thermodynamics happen in that process. What's very interesting is in the Sea of Galilee sits 696 feet below sea level. And so there is a regular occurrence. They actually have it named. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Acts 27, verse 14. They actually gave this particular weather, weather pattern a name. Uh, Acts 27, verse f- uh, 14. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'm just doing one verse. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And if you read the story, you should go and read the story. It's pretty cool. They had got a, what they thought was a favorable wind. They jumped in their boats and they started to go. And then all of a sudden everything turned around and the wind came the other direction. And man, were they in trouble. So here is this storm, this, this, this regular, at least it's a predictable occurrence of some kind. Uh, and what's interesting to me is that it would probably happen most likely in the evening. Because the way that the heat and the cool happens in this thermal process of wind and, and the dynamics of how that happens is as the, the sun sets and the earth cools and the wind starts to change direction, it draws the wind down into the sea. It draws it down into the Sea of Galilee. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says, hey guys, let's go across the water now. You get got a hold of that? He's suggesting that they go out and cross the sea in, in this process, at this time of day. Uh, we'll look at that just a little bit more as we go through the process. But here comes this storm, and probably a pretty good storm, right? I mean, there's a few of them that were fishermen, pretty good with their boats, right? Yes, that's, that's yes, it's true. Um, you guys remember in Mark, we talked about the fishermen, and he said, hey, come on, follow me, I'll teach you to fish for men. Yep. Okay, just taking you back to the text. They're fishermen. These guys made a living out there on the water. Do you think at any point when that storm hit that those boys, they they probably initially engaged in self-diagnostic processes, right? Oh, here comes the storm. We're going to do everything that we know to do to try and get through this storm, right? Because they're the only ones that ever lived that way, right? Here are veteran fishermen, seasoned fishermen, and they're in fear for their life. Why? Because this storm is significant. They have obviously been working at it for a while because the boat's beginning to be swamped, and they hadn't woke Jesus up yet. Now, 
So here's this incredible storm. Here's these what I would call experienced fishermen. They're in the middle of the storm. Things are not going well, and they find Jesus, their leader, doing what? Sleeping. Now, does that bother anybody? So honestly, as I was wrestling through this, there are a couple of options. How many have ever been so tired you can sleep through just about anything? A couple of you? I know there's some of you that can sleep through anything for, with no tiredness. You guys are just like dead to the world. Um, it's amazing. I, I wish I had that problem some days. Um, I do not. I wake up very easily, way too often probably. Here Jesus is sleeping. There's a possibility that this is demonstrating or giving us an example of his humanness, right? The humanity, the ability for him to be physically exhausted from his ministry, from all of the work that he's doing, from all the people that he's interacting with, and the schedule that he's keeping. It's entirely possible that that is maybe one of the reasons that Jesus is able to sleep at this point. I think a second possibility is the the peace that he has this ability to be at peace in the midst of difficult things in life. Uh, Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to admit to you here right off the bat, there's two names in here that I I really don't know how to say. And so I've I've, tried to figure it out, so I'm going to butcher them, and I'm just warning you ahead of time. So if you know how to say it correctly, come and share with me later. And we can practice together. Uh, Philippians 4, 1 through 9. Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat uh, what, Edodia and Sintuhe to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Do you, do you see what's happening right now? They've got some conflict going on in their church. Paul's saying, hey, talk to these people. Ask them to work together. Come on, you guys are companions. You've worked in the Lord, right? Okay, it's written right there. It's okay to even even just nonverbal. You know, I I hassle my boys every now and then. I'm like, I can't hear your head rattle. You know, if you ask them a question, they're like, or can't hear that. So, even nonverbals help. Rejoice. He he comes out of this process, out of this challenging these two to get along, to work together, agree in the Lord. In verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your uh, reasonableness be known to, to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is, uh, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul speaks of a peace here that passes all understanding. 
And he, he's speaking of these things in, in the context of just challenging uh, s- several people in the church to work on a relationship, to agree in the Lord, and including in that telling us not to be anxious for e- anything, but in, in everything that we do with prayer and supplication, with thanks, uh, thanksgiving that we're coming to the Lord, that there would be peace in that process. Is it possible that part of what Jesus demonstrated for his disciples was such a peace in the midst of great storm, in the midst of the things of life, that he was completely at peace and able to rest, even though his physical life was at risk? Now, you and I know the answer to this, right? I was thinking about that this morning. It's Part of me is, is a little frustrated because he can walk on water. It, it, it hit me this morning. He didn't need the boat. Think about that, though. You and I can't see past the boat, can we? I mean, think about in our human lives, when we're, when we're dealing with difficult things, when we're dealing with, with physical things or, or mechanical things or, or technical things. Uh, just kind of a funny story for this morning. I, uh, I was in my office praying, and I'm reading through this, and I'm, I'm like, okay, Lord, man, give us, give us something. Help this connect with our hearts today that we'd understand what this looks like for us to trust you in the midst of difficult things. And I came out, um, and this TV was dead dead debt, like nothing was on it. And the guys have been working on it for an hour, 35 minutes, something like that, whatever it was, uh, pulling cords, testing cords. So we had stuff out here. We're trying to get it all, all working. I was in praying for an opportunity for growth. <laughs> now, uh, right? You guys should all be aware of that. That is kind of what I do on Sunday mornings. Um, but the reality of it is, is that we ran very quickly to all of our physical solutions, right? The guys went through and checked every cable. We checked every connection. We checked all the channel stuff. I mean, we were, we were troubleshooting as we know to do because we have life experience and we've got all these things mapped out. They, they did pray. I was so proud of them. They stopped and just prayed, okay, Lord, whatever you want to do. And so we were prepared this morning to just share with you the challenges of living in a technological world and having y'all switch your chairs just a little bit so you could see anyway. We don't need those to worship the Lord, do we? We don't need AC. It's convenient. We don't need this stuff. And so often in the midst of our storms, we get our eyes focused on the physical things, the things that we think are our salvation, the things that we think provide for us that rescue or that moment, whether it's finances or health, whether it's friendships or circumstances, it's so easy for us to get focused on that. I wonder if part of the peace that Jesus experienced that moment was his relationship with his heavenly father. And he knew that his job wasn't done, and he knew that he was safe, even if his physical life was at risk. Well, his disciples didn't know this. They were not aware of this yet. And so what did they do? They woke up Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, I think they had a very accurate uh, dialogue with him. It's much of the same conversation I would have had, I'm sure. Um, I thought it was very interesting. Did you catch what he, what the guys actually say to Jesus? 
uh, in, in verse 38 there. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I, I, I love that, that in their minds, they turned to him at this point, right? They'd done everything else they could. I mean, I'm pretty sure they'd exhausted all of their own physical and abilities and their knowledge of the sea and how to, how to take care of their boats. And, and yet, at this moment, they turn to Jesus. And the question that they have is, are, are you not concerned that we're going to die? Does this not bother you? And uh, apparently it didn't bother Jesus. By his response... Now, I want to encourage you, please, you guys, we have to be super careful we don't beat up these disciples. I would not have signed up for this job. If he, if he walked through for you all of the challenges that you're going to face, all the times that he's going to ask you to trust him to be your source, your salvation, to, be, to take care of your physical, emotional, spiritual needs, to be your provider financially, to be, to be the person that rescues you from physical danger, all of those things, would you sign up for it if, if Jesus had laid out everything you've seen in your life so far? Not initially, I wouldn't. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I look at him today and I'm like, oh, I, I think I might know why. I think I'm getting a glimpse of why he might have done those things. But on the first, first blush, I'll be like, uh-uh. That's going to be expensive. That's going to cost me a ton. And I'm going to be in uncomfortable situations. Had I known that we would have been held hostage down in Columbia, I don't think my mama would have let me go. That's not a safe thing to do. I'll be honest with you. When I saw Kai taken off down the down the ramp in his wheelchair, and uh, there's a moment that I had that parent, like, "Was that a good idea?" And then the dad side of me overcame him. Man, that'd be so much fun. Go for it. But for a moment, I had that thought, like, "This could end bad." We have those things. We run into life and we see all of this stuff. What's Jesus' response? What's Jesus' response to the waves, to the wind, to the storm? He awoke, verse 39, it says, He awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. Then he turned to his disciples, verse 40, He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no There's something that happens at this moment that is magnificent. It's not, it's not a small thing. This is a very, very, very big thing. And we know that from the disciples' response, which we'll look at here in just a second. But Jesus, with his words, calms the winds and the waves. He stops them and takes them to complete peace. This unsettles the disciples for sure, right? Because their response is great fear. We'll, we'll look at that in just a second. But I want to show you uh, just what, what the text says about this particular act, about um, this idea that Jesus somehow can speak and has control over the wind and the waves. Look at Psalm 33. We're going to do a little bit in the Old Testament here because, um, well, it's just really, really incredible. Psalm 33, verse 6. The psalmist writes, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, 
and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap and puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Somehow the psalmist sees God as being able to take and, and heap up the oceans and uh, much like you would do like a pile of dirt to gather them in and make a heap out of them. Anybody, have, have we done anything to really control the sea? As humans, have we, have we mastered that at all? We don't, we're not even close. Like we build levees and we have all of our science and we're trying to, we try to predict tsunamis and all of these things because it's a good idea to try and protect the people. I mean, I, I love that we do that. But it's amazing to me how in, in the midst of all of that stuff, we still have no control. My son uh, was stationed on, a, um, on, on an aircraft carrier and he wrote home about a sneaker wave. They got hit by a 75-foot Sneaker wave, they call it. Or I don't know if that's the right word, uh, but basically they, they were in rough seas. They, they were expecting, I guess, 40-foot waves? Uh, just, just for a second, I'm five foot eight, 40-foot waves, kind of normal, and this surprise wave of 70-some foot comes out of, the, out of the blue and catches them off guard, and, and they're on this huge aircraft carrier that, that's riding this. Okay, does that not blow your mind? To me, I'm like, 70 feet. That's a wall of water. Almost as tall as the ship it was. It's incredible. Look at what Psalm 107 says. Psalm 107, starting in verse 23. And you'll need to read the whole psalm to catch the context of what's happening here, but I love how this, this section reads. Psalm 107, verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They were down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. The psalmist has a grasp of who this God is that controls, that speaks to the sea, and that manages these things. The, the disciples at some point would have been aware of some of these psalms. Amos chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 says this, Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. I love that this is in the, the context of a prophet who is, who is actually prophesying judgment on Israel for the rebellion against God, for their idolatry of their hearts. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thoughts, who makes the morning darkness and treads out the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. As we think through 
what's happening for the disciples in this moment when Jesus calms the sea. I believe, I believe that what they get, what they see in this process, what they connect it to, uh, and we'll see that in their response, is that only God does this kind of stuff. This is, this is an act of God that just happened in our presence, and Jesus spoke this into being. What is this? And we see from the psalmist, and we see uh, from Amos, and there's, there's many other passages that talk about that, but what an incredible picture of the God of heaven engaging with, the, with, with mankind and with His creation, and how the sea and the winds are all part of that process in which He displays His character. He displays his supremacy over nature and even over the issues of, of our lives if, if we would turn to him. The disciples, what do they do? They respond in fear, right? Rightly so, I should say. It, it, verse 41, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? I, I like in the Greek, uh, it, it's, it's, it's pretty it says that they were, were frightened with a great fear, a magnificent fear. Um, so I just, I thought it was pretty interesting that you look at the text, right? So they're in the storm, the boat's filling up with water. They're pretty sure they're going to die. They're waking up Jesus. Hey, don't you care that we're going to die? So they're in some level of concern for their life, right? We would call that fear, probably. And yet Jesus calms the storm. There's great peace. And what, did, what is their response? A great fear. You see what happened? What they saw happen, what they saw Jesus do, caused them from, to go from the fear that they were experiencing from the existence of circumstances in their life, from what was happening around them, and it landed them in a great fear. Something happened to them that was so powerful, so amazing at that moment, that they found a different level of, of fear, if you will, and it was pointed at who? Look at what they say. Verse 41, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? We recognize this, a, a very similar statement earlier on in Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 27. The people at that time were gathered around Jesus and he was teaching and the, their response was this, verse 27 of Mark chapter 1. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey Him. There, there appears to be a picture of Jesus that is growing in the hearts and minds of the disciples as they're watching Him do miracle after miracle, as they're watching Him interact with their lives, and they have, they're experiencing these the storm in this process, and they're watching Jesus be that solution for those things, and their response to Him is a greater fear because I believe that at this moment in their hearts, they're saying there's something more to this man than what we're aware of. There's something bigger than just who he is as one of our, as, as a human, as a prophet. There's more to him than this. And the problem with him calming the sea is that the only real association, the only real connection they can make is that he just did what God does. What does that mean? How do we deal with this man? Now, the cool part is we're not going to finish that story completely. 
because for whatever reason, Jesus doesn't just do this once for them. How many of you guys would like to petition the Lord for one lesson? Just teach it to me once, let me be done with it, right? Now, I'm going to tell you, it's not his fault that we need more than one lesson, but there are many times that I sure wish that I could just have the one instruction, okay, I got it, I'm going to write it down in a notebook, we'll keep it somewhere safe so I can't forget it. But it doesn't seem to work that way. Here's what really bothers me about this text. This is what's been eating at me the whole entire week. Jesus invited them into the storm. I would love, I would love to be able to say to you that, that, that I don't believe that God ever takes us into storms intentionally um, or allows them to happen in our lives. Uh, but it sure looks like Jesus invited them into this storm. And as we read through Mark and you read the gospel accounts, he doesn't do it just one time. They go out in the evening again. But this time without Jesus in the boat, he's like, hey, you guys do this one on your own today. It's, it's going to be crazy. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that part of the text. It's one of my favorite passages in Mark. But what do we do with the fact that Jesus says to them, in the very opening segment, they were, they were teaching, they were in this boat teaching, and on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. What do we do with that? The only thing I knew to do was um, to wrestle with him in my own heart to say, is it possible? That because God loves us so much, because He knows us so well, because His intent is for you and for me, His children, to understand who He is in such clear light, in such a clear view of, of who God is, that we could trust Him in the midst of storms, that we would trust Him and live in obedience and, and fulfill the commands that He's put on our lives uh, to be lights and to, to, to live out the gospel in this process, that He invites us into those storms so that we can have a better picture of who He is. Is that the Jesus that you know? Is, is, is He that, is He just a shepherd? Is, is He just a storybook picture? Because many of us grow up in Sunday school and we hear these really wonderful stories about Jesus. And I think at times He ends up being this meek and mild, loving Jesus. And that is so true. It's who He is. But He's so much more than that. If, if we look at, if we think in our lives, if when we picture Jesus... He can often be way too small. He can often just fit into our the scope of our minds, our ability to comprehend them. I want you to turn to Job chapter 42, one of my, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. And not because I ever want to experience the life of Job. I really don't. But at some level, I want to know what he means in this passage. Job chapter 42, Job is responding to God. Just looking back, let's see, one, 
Yeah, uh, God speaks for four chapters. And uh, then Job responds to him in chapter 42, verse 1. It says this. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you, and therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. case we're not familiar, Job's a story of what, what we would call a righteous man who has been really blessed by God on this earth with lots of possessions and a lot of things. And somewhere in the beginning of that story, there's this supernatural counsel that happens in heaven. <laughs> and Satan shows up and God says, hey, have you noticed Job? And and Satan's response is, well, yeah, of course I noticed him. You won't let me touch him. Well, how how hard is it for a guy to follow you when he's being when he's being blessed and protected by God? And the story unfolds, and, and Job experiences great great personal discomfort, great loss in wealth and family. And a few of his friends show up to encourage him. And as if you've read any of it, you know it was not really that encouraging. And uh, go through all of these, you know, all of these statements and purposes, and Job's defending himself. And then we end with this. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's the challenge that I was wrestling with this this week is, am I okay? Is Jesus, is God really sovereign in my life to the point where I'm okay with him inviting me into the storm? For the purpose of revealing his glory, for the purpose of revealing a true picture of him so that I could be an accurate worshiper, so I I can follow him accurately. But am I, am I okay with that? And here's the, the secret to that answer is it really doesn't matter if you're okay with it or not. If, if we learned anything from the text, uh, if you read through the passages of Scripture, your opinion, however great it is in your mind, is really pretty irrelevant. What is God doing? The, pro, the reason I ask that question is because so often it means I have to surrender. I love the fact that that uh, God does all these amazing things, but many, many times He is graciously waiting for you and for me to just put down our hearts and say, God, do with me as you see fit. Not my will, but yours be done. So often, that's what He's waiting on us for. Has God invited you into a storm recently? If He has, it's probably a blessing. 
If he has, it's most likely an opportunity that he's wanting to demonstrate his character, his supernatural power, love, grace, mercy, kindness, righteousness, truth, holiness. It's probably an invitation that only children get to come and to see God in a way maybe undistracted by the things of this life. It took the disciples quite a while to realize they didn't need the boat. They're pretty attached to the boat. I'm pretty attached to boats if I'm in the water. It's a reality of life. Where is it God's called you? What is it that he's walking through with you right now in this life? It sure seems like what he's trying to help his disciples see is to see a picture of who Jesus really is. To get a grasp of the depth, the width, the height, the length of this eternal God. That somehow in his sovereignty decided to send his son onto the earth to die for you and me. If we're really, really honest, you guys, we can't grasp that. We can't really make sense of that move. But we can receive it. We can trust Him. And I think that's ultimately what Jesus was challenging His disciples. You see me do all this stuff and you still don't have any faith? How is it that you're watching all this happen and you're still not seeing what I'm trying to show you? I confess that that's me. I know it is. From week to week, I lose my mind over stupid things. Dumb, silly things that shouldn't matter. And I get anxious and I get worried and I find myself running around beating the air um, trying to make it right. And yet, uh, I should probably turn to the Lord. Would you bow your head and and pray with me this morning? I don't know what God's taking anybody else through. I I don't know what the challenges are in your life. I I really don't. Um, And listen, we're we're probably grateful that we don't have to carry everyone's burdens. um, But it is pretty clear in Scripture that we're supposed to carry one another's burdens. So I want to challenge you. If you feel alone, if you feel like you're isolated, um, that we want to be a body, we want to be a church that loves one another and that carries one another's burdens. So if you're feeling alone, I want to encourage you, even grab the person next to you in, this, in the pew right next to you if you don't know them. I mean, don't grab the one you know. <laughs> that might be the problem. Um, but reach out and grab somebody else that's next by and take a chance. Take a chance. That what God's taking you through has more to do, has a supernatural outcome that he's intended you to see. And sometimes we need help doing that. But um, let, let's just pray. And, and if you agree with me this morning, you can pray quietly in your hearts. Father, I feel like um, I want to know you as, as Job spoke of knowing you. I want to know you beyond just the hearing of who you are as as just the hearing of words. 
I want to see you for who you are. And the truth is, Lord, even saying that, there's a little bit of, I don't know, a little nerve nervousness in that because I think the more I see in Scripture, the more I'm beginning to realize that for that to really happen, God, you have to strip away so much more of me. And the, the pride that I have and the pride of life, the challenges that I face, and just surrendering to you. God, I pray this morning that you would um, God, that you would do the work in our hearts that we need to have happen for us to see you as you are, to see you as the disciples saw you on that boat at that moment. That they would say, who is this? That that would be the response of our hearts as we engage with, these, with this, the challenges we face in this life as we engage with your word, that you would open our eyes to see you for who you are, and that in that moment, our faith would be built in you and in you alone. That we would learn that we could trust you and depend on you, and that even when the boat is sinking, even when the situations are overwhelming to us, that our dependence and our hope, our security rests in the God of the universe, not in any of our abilities or our circumstances. God, help us to be worshipers of you and you alone. In your name, amen.